everybody welcome to the 236th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling here we had a few tech issues before uh before we started so i'm hoping the audio is sounding crispy a few tech issues it was more like me hearing some of your uh embarrassing road trip stories but that's neither uh here here nor there go to my stream and watch I don't know which one, probably the most popular one, and here are some road trip stories. But a very upsetting game uh, today against the Hornets. Really, really weird week, to be completely honest, man. It has been a roller coaster season, and that roller coaster continued all week long. The Blazers, despite handing out a season-high 31 assists, against the Boston Celtics on Tuesday, lose a heartbreaker 116 to 115. That ended a, a three-game homestand. They go out on the road for, for two quick games. Uh, first was San Antonio without Damian Lillard. The team found themselves down by 16 points in the third quarter. They came back. Robert Covington had probably one of the, the steals of the season. Norman Powell finished the layup. And they played lockdown defense. They, they, they shored up a 107-106 victory over the San Antonio Spurs. Feeling pretty good heading into today's game against the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets without Devontae Graham, LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward, the Blazers sitting, Damian Lillard getting him that much-needed rest. And the Blazers probably put forth maybe one of their worst quarters of, of the season. They allow 44 points to the Charlotte Hornets, and they end up dropping the game. The final score was 109 to 101, but had Carmelo Anthony not went nuts down the final couple minutes of the fourth quarter, the outcome was never really in doubt. Uh, The Hornets used, I think, like a 15 to 3 run in the third quarter uh, to put the Blazers um, away. We had the lead down to 11, but ultimately it it, it didn't matter. Uh, The Blazers are now stand. 32 and 24 in the Western Conference, firmly in sixth. We're starting to see some separation both north and south of the Portland Trailblazers. Two games behind the Lakers for fifth. The Blazers keep getting breaks from the Mavericks, who are losing to the Knicks and now to the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Dallas is now tied in the loss column with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, for, for seventh. So as I said on the last week's episode, watch out for the Memphis Grizzlies. They could be the team that that we need to keep our eye on. But right now the Blazers are in sixth. But with 16 games left, it's crazy to say this. The schedule only intensifies. And Sage, frankly, the Blazers, um, I, 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 I think I'm running out of cliches to use you know put up or shut up time's running out uh whatever you want to say the amount of games left is quickly reducing it's like the sand ticking away in an hourglass and the blazers can really determine how they want their season to go but they they really have to shit or or get off the pot because i i just have no idea what to to make of this team it should have been a three and oh week 
it damn near could have been 0-3 had they not had a miraculous comeback in San Antonio. Uh, I know there's still games left, Sage, but outside of that Houston game towards uh, the, the middle of May, this was the most winnable game left on the schedule. A Hornet team loses a four straight without their three best players, and you come out and you give you give that effort in the first quarter. Where do you go from there? Never RHJ and Yusuf on the court together. Never play RHJ and Enes Cantor on the court together. Only a small ball lineup with RHJ because well, he's the five, correct? Yeah. Well, here, here, here's what I was noticing in that first quarter when it was so bad. We had scored like 24 points to 40 in that first quarter, if I remember correctly. They had you know, 44. Where was it? We gave up 44. 44. Uh, well, we got 24. That's where I was. Yes. Yeah. All right. So did you notice that Yusuf was in the perimeter a lot more in RHA yes. in the dunker spot? So Terry and RHA and Yusuf felt more comfortable with Yusuf's high variance ass shooting threes than RHJ. So that ruined spacing because you can sheet off Yusuf and go into the lane. So there was that's why they gave up so many block shots in that first quarter. I mean, you said it on the last episode that RHJ is like Tony Allen bad from three. And it's it, it's the truth when Ennis Cantor's out there on the perimeter trying to handle something in our four-out scheme. We have a power forward who can't shoot. It's just such a liability offensively. So to look at that, I was like, why are we going back to it in the third quarter? The first quarter, you know, you want to give it a chance. RHA signed that second 10-day contract. We could sign him for the rest of the year. But it was just a failure. Every second that RHA was there, and I, I appreciated his offensive rebounding, but if he's on the court with one of our traditional centers, it's just going to be a bad bad for our offense and then it made me curious because Tara Biggs and I did the uh, pregame show and we saw that RHA was starting so it made me think huh why is Derek Jones Jr. not playing last game it was Derek got the start played real minutes and then this game I don't think he got off the floor so maybe Sots was trying to discipline him but Fuck, if you're going to discipline Derek Jones Jr., put Nasir Little in. We need to see what he can do with this starting lineup. So it was a very confusing game in terms of rotations. There's a lot to unpack from this game, so let's kind of treat it like an onion and peel it back layer by layer. Let, let's start with, with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson getting the start, as you mentioned, and I think you made a great point on multiple fronts. Hollis-Jefferson is not a small forward in that offense. He was treated as a small forward and immediately after being drafted into the league and watching how he can't space the floor, he became a power forward slash center. So the fact that big for a reason, yes, the the fact that we decided to play him as a small forward is, is kind of mind boggling. The second layer to that is why not start Nasir little, like you mentioned and Nasir is a player who has had his minutes kind of jerked around and he's never knowing how many minutes he's going to play, if he's going to play, what his role is going to be. And I have a big problem with that because Terry saying that he wants to see what we have with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, that's not good enough for me. And I'll be quite, quite frank is 
when I saw we were resting Dame, which I, I agreed with, and I saw that we were starting Hollis Jefferson, a red flag went up in my mind because that signified that we weren't taking this game seriously. We're not a good enough team to just, you know, try out new things and, and then automatically work. I don't care how bad the Hornets were prior to tonight's game. Like it, it, that, that just didn't register as a valid reason for that decision. Nasir Little, I think, arguably has the highest ceiling on this team. He, I, I, by no means am I saying he's better than Damian or will ever be better than Damian, but where you look at where he is at and where he could go, that gap is the highest of any Blazer. He has so much room to grow. For us to not think that it would be a better idea for the team and more beneficial for Nasir long-term to give him a start to play alongside a playmaker like CJ and Nurk and instead give it to a player on their second 10-day contract who is not a long-term piece of this franchise, that, that makes zero sense. And that, that's something that can, can kind of ruin franchises. Those are dumb decisions by the franchise. I mean, bottom line, whether you love Terry or dislike Terry, that is a terrible decision. The second layer to that and what you talked about is, was Derek Jones Jr. hurt? No, Casey Holdall, Blazers reporter, it's says the injury report. he is not on the injury report. From what he knows, it was just a benching. Terry Stotts followed that up with said he was not hurt in, in the post game, And it brings me back to something that I heard, and we didn't get to it on the episode. I think it was two or three episodes ago. It was after the Utah game. And I believe these were all questions from Jason Quick. When he wasn't playing uh, – Talking about starting him, I think they continued just, it was, we were just bringing in Norman Powell and they're going with the three guard lineup. Terry said something of the effect of, you know, we were 29th in defense with Yark Jones Jr. and we're still 29th in defense without him. So kind of throwing him under the bus, so to speak, with that comment. And then after today's game in the press conference, Terry or Jason Quick, you know, kind of pushed Terry again. And asked, said basically, like Derek Jones Jr. was our prime free agency acquisition and using our mid level exception. Uh, why is he not playing? And Terry Stott said he didn't want to disparage Derek Jones Jr., but benching him was what was best for the team at this point in the season. Sage, I'm all for holding players accountable, but Derek Jones Jr. is not the blazer that I would have made an example out of. And I think. If he hasn't lost the locker room already, it's it's pretty damn close because, again, these these decisions that we're seeing now on a game by game basis almost are compounding in terms of how mind numbing and befuddling that they are to, to be, you know, as. You know, blunt as possible. So while you were talking, I was very curious about the game flow of today's game. So Ronda Hollis Jefferson started, played seven minutes, then then Nasir came in as his direct backup. We gave somebody that might not last another 10 days three rotations, three separate stints. And if you wanted to be real, four separate stints. And we gave somebody that was a projected lottery pick two. So it shows some really confusing decision makings. Like if you wanted to see Rondé Hollis Jefferson, two rotations is much better than zero. 
And then you give Nasir, who, I mean, like, he's been in the rotations, knows the scheme, been under Terry Stotts' tutelage for his entire career, so it's not like he doesn't know what's popping. And then it's just, it just spacing in this uh, team is so important. It's just so important. And to just absolutely destroy every bit of spacing that we get for putting two non-shooters in. So it throughout throughout uh, Ronda Hollis's stints, he played with Yusuf and Ennis. God damn it, man. That's just so bad. To go back to what you were also saying. Okay, that's why I have this up. So I was looking at our defense with Ennis out and Yusuf in to see how much of an improvement it is for us. Just because, god damn, we are so bad defensively. So I was looking to see... So we're the 25th bet, uh, uh, worst defense in the league currently. So I wanted to run something with Ennis off and Yusuf on. And it's 417 minutes of this. So it's it's small sample size in terms of what that we've done this year, but it's what we have. So with Yusuf on... We're a good defense. It's just because of how injured we've been this year, we haven't really been able to see our defense. So to blame one person for our terrible effort, it, it doesn't make sense because Ennis has really been super valuable this year. But where he loses his value is when teams – Smart teams put him in the pick and roll and expose him. And recently, Pop went after him. Celtics went after him. It it didn't look good. So I, I think the defense, because teams can just go after Ennis, it looked worse than it actually is. Because with Yusuf, we're a good defense. It's just super limited. So I think it's unfair for Stotts to go after Derek Jones Jr. And he also can leave next year. And with his coach, some might take it as talking shit directly to him. I don't I don't know if I would want to be a part of that culture where a coach can single out one person for the defensive inefficiencies. So I, I think that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the defense improving w- with Nurk, but again, there are no excuses for what happened tonight. Uh, we've heard that the small lineup makes our defense uh, our defense inefficient. Well, we actually had probably the most balanced defensive lineup that, that you could have. You have CJ, Norman, Rondé, Rocco, and Nurk. That's probably one of the better five-man groups you could put together defensively. And we got absolutely torched by the Charlotte Hornets. Without, and, without, yeah, without three, three, three of their gunners. Yeah, but so I, and this, just, to, just to say with Yusuf on the court, we're a top 10 defense in terms of points per game. It's just, it's been such a limited sample size. And I would also say a schedule has a lot to do with that. The schedule is only going to get harder. I mean, we are, we do not look like a top 10 defense when we go up against elite teams after we gave up 40 plus 
again in the first quarter, I went back through all of our box scores and I looked at the the quarter by quarter summaries and I actually tallied how many times have we given up a 35 plus point quarter and how many times have we given up a 40 plus point quarter. So to date, there have been 56 games which have uh, included 224 quarters. The 35 or more quarters, point quarters allowed, 34 times. That means in 61% of our games, an opponent has registered a quarter where they have put up over 35 points. It's happened in 15% of the quarters for this season. Taking that number even higher to the, to the amount of 40-point quarters we've given up, which even in today's shoot-happy NBA is astronomically bad to give up 40 points this many times. We've given up eight, eight times. So in 14% of our games, we're, we're about to give up 40, 40 or more points. And you, you may say, well, eight times, that's not a lot. But you are probably going to lose every single time you give up a 40-point quarter because it happened tonight. We actually played pretty damn good defense the other three quarters. I think they only had like 65 or 70 points through quarters two through four. You win that game if you play that type of defense, but because you put yourself behind the eight ball so deep, that hole was so deep to dig out of, you couldn't do it. And it ended up in a loss. So these numbers aren't just meant to have like shock and awe. They have real consequences. And the consequences is more times than not, they happen against the elite teams. They end up in losses. and in games like this against a team like the Charlotte Hornets and we saw against the, it also happened against the Toronto Raptors. Thankfully we were able to, to beat them in, in Tampa. This team does not come out to play. We always find ourselves down a bunch lately in, in the first quarter. And Sage, I, I don't know why this, this team thinks they can flip the switch on. Why are they not mentally prepared to go from the jump? Do you have any theories or suggestions? Because I would love to know. We're not disciplined. It's as simple as that. It's either Terry Stott's not inspiring and motivating, or it's the players not listening to his his pregame speeches. And I think that the players, you see their body language at those press conferences, and they're demoralized by the ass-kicking that they get. And then Terry Stott says, he looks fine with it. And so I I think that we're undisciplined currently and we're not being held accountable. So that's probably why we suck for one quarter, almost every game. I mean, I I think you make, I think you make a lot of great points there. The last thing I want to touch on with the Charlotte game, and I think this is kind of like a microcosm of the season, but the mantra, they just got hot has to stop. Just it absolutely has to come to an end because Charlotte wasn't this bum ass team who who can't shoot. They can shoot even without those three players. They were ninth in the league coming into tonight from downtown. They shot about thirty seven point seven percent from three tonight. They were 18 of 42 percent. So, yeah, they shot above their average. But you're not talking about a, a bottom five three point shooting team just just ripping ripping it from downtown. This is what they do, and honestly, the looks they got were pretty damn clean. P.J. Washington had had a possession where he shot three straight uncontested threes, like every time down the floor. Like there was a sequence where where we just were not getting out on him. 
and it's a failure to adapt and to adjust uh eric garcia gunderson who uh used to write for the columbian but he's still under the, the blazer banter um handle on twitter still a member of blazers media had a really good point he's like it only took two and a half to three quarters for the blazers to finally hard hard double on terry rogier who had a career night against us you know 34 nine and eight you know something of that nature he was unstoppable on single coverage and we failed to do any damn thing about it sage like this is a constant when we're talking about the blazers on on a weekly basis you know good players seem to just have career nights against us i know we were uh watching pregame for the spurs game and it came up on the screen demar Derozan has his best performances against the Portland Trailblazers. Like, literally the best team he likes playing against is Portland. It, it's just, it's not a coincidence these things keep happening. Um, the Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum era, it's kind of been our thing. I mean, Kevin Love broke the record for most points in a quarter against us. It, it happens. It happens a lot. It, it's weird that on the fast break defense, our guys seem to just get into the paint and then realize, oh, shit, every person on the team can shoot. We need to run out. So, like, Ennis stops in the paint, and then trailer, tra- the trailing center just was like, well, this is a 20-foot open jumper. It's ridiculous if I don't shoot this, and he'll make it. So it, it's it's a weird it, – what we do is weird defensively, especially in transition. If it's a transition – Opportunity. I feel like we're giving a foul or an open three. To be um, specific, Terry Rozier ended with 34 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds. So, monster night from Scary Terry. And to be honest, I, I didn't think he would be the the reason that we left Charlotte with a loss. But it, it is what it is, and you can't go back and, and change the results. Other things that I kind of took note of as the week unfolded sage i was pretty upset um at at the celtics game and i i I saw a lot of the community was like hey at least we didn't get blown out and my first mindset was that's that sucks (laughs) yeah my first my my first thought was god damn the bar is that low for for blazer maniacs and yeah it, it kind of is but we talked last week extensively about Terry Stotts needing to be an asshole if he wants to keep his job. He had an opportune time to do that in the Boston game. CJ McCollum was throwing up just clunker after clunker. And yet, with five minutes to go in that game, our best defender, Robert Covington, was removed from the game so we could roll out a Dame, CJ, Norm, Mello, and Nurk finishing five guess who jason tatum hit the game winning three over it wasn't robert covington it was cj mccollum and cj defended it well but when you have a seven to eight inch height difference it doesn't matter how well cj defended it jt was able to rise up and hit that um it was i know portland made a little bit of a run with that lineup in there but the fact that we gave up the fact that we gave up, Sage, so much draft capital in 
what was a great class in 2020 and what is projected to be a good one in 2021. I get that Tatum was doing things against Robert Covington. Doesn't mean you have to put Covington on him on an island. Covington's better as a free safety, as everyone has discussed. But the fact that your best defender who makes things happen, what did he do against Toronto and Portland? He locked up Pascal on the final play of the game. What did he do the, the following game in San Antonio? He came out of nowhere and had the game-winning steal that led to Norman Powell's layup. The, the fact is, Rocco makes big defensive plays happen, and for him not to be on the floor over the final five minutes, instead you want to trot out your small three-guard lineup and Carmelo, who, yes, Melo was hot. Melo had a fantastic performance. No, no, no qualms there. No, no qualms there. 25 for Melo on 15 shots. But Melo took one shot, Sage, over the final eight minutes of the game. If he's not getting shots, why is he – he really doesn't do anything else. So it was just a clusterfuck of decision-making for, for the Blazers. Like, that, that was a winnable game, and that game kind of felt like, oh, like we had moved the ball so well. I was loving the the way we were we were uh, getting Norman open looks in 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 the corner. We, it just was beautiful basketball, especially in that that first half. And to see it kind of slip away with just shoddy decision making, it, it kind of you know broke my Blazer spirit to be honest. Uh, well, I'm sorry about that. But uh, Mello, if Mello wasn't the five minute mark of the third until the eight minute mark of the fourth, I think Robert Covington would have been there. But I just, I don't think there's any just, okay. Keep Mello in there. Fine. If, then run some plays for him. One, but two, have the, have the authority to say, CJ, it's not your night. You're my fucking guy. I love you, but you do not have it right now. I'm going to go with a bigger lineup that gives us a little bit more balance. And I'm going to go Dame Norm. Rocco, Mello, and Nurkic. So it was the, that fifth spot was between CJ and Nurk. And I agree that we probably should have had Robert Covington in, especially because Mello hadn't taken a shot from eight minutes uh, in the fourth to two minutes. So six minutes without an attempt kind of is crazy when he's not providing the defensive pressure that a Robert Covington would have put it on. So it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty bad uh, judgment call looking at it, you know, days after, um, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't a days after it was in the, I, I told Olga, I was like, what is this man doing? Like you have one of the worst historical, historically bad defenses of all time. You have the tools on the roster. Like it's, it's, and I, I said this watching the Charlotte game, seeing the starting five go out there. It may not have been the best offensive move, but defensively, the personnel was there to play good defense. Schematically, motivationally, whatever it is, it feels very, very broke right now, Sage. And it's happening against, you know, Boston. They were at the time three games above 500. They're starting to play better basketball now. Give them that. That's a winnable game. That's also a game where you would have hoped to see more production out of your your three-guard lineup. Charlotte, 
that's a game where they had no business putting up 44. So it, it just, it feels like we're watching a train wreck and, and we just, we just can't take our eyes off of it, but we know what's going to happen. Like we, we, we see it in the distance. It's, it's counting down 17, 16 games left. We know what's going to happen, but we have to continue to, to watch it all the way through. He's I don't know. I, I think Terry Stotts' mystique is running thin. And I've been there in terms of jobs that I don't really give a fuck about now. I think that I think that the, these are gonna be his last 22 games as Blazers head coach, or however many games we win in the play, however many games that we play in the playoffs. Gonna be his last as a uh, Portland Trail Blazers head coach. So well, let's talk about a player who is under contract for, for quite some time. And it, it's CJ McCollum. I want to get your thoughts on CJ because he came out of this season like gangbusters. It was all known around the league that he was a, he had a great shot to become a first time all-star. Uh, he was in the first 13 games, putting up 26.7 points, shooting 44% from three on 11 attempts, uh, five assists, which is huge, and grabbing four rebounds, just career highs, and had really looking had really looked like he had taken his game to the next level. We all know what happens next. He goes down with a foot injury, misses about two months. Since he has played 17 games, Sage, he's back down to 20.9 points per game. The three-point percentage is down eight points, 36%, and he's taking two and a half less per game. The assists are similar, because I think a lot because of Dame has missed these last two games, but you, you really look at the shooting percentage, um, 83% from, from free throw, 42% from, from the field. Uh, that's down 5% from the, the pre-injury. Are we going to see pre-injury CJ again, or was that a flash in the pan? Well, it comes to the, do you think that that was an aberration of a lot of good things happening at the same time? And this is what the CJ is that we, that the medium CJ that we see, because he played really, really well and it seems sustainable, but is who we have on the roster. And I think Norman Powell is a huge factor in this. Is the players that take usage. I think that we all assumed that Dame, at, with Dame out, CJ was going to take over. Because we've seen it in the past. But in the past, it was like Gary Trent Jr., who's not at the time wasn't a big usage guy. With this team, he doesn't have that unlimited usage anymore. So I, I, I don't think that with the team construction, we're going to see that peak CJ consistently. I think we're going to see a CJ like this or a little bit better. I, I, I don't think that we're going to see the consistent CJ that uh, was you know the first part of the year, just because our team's better. We have players that are going to take usage. So we might see a little bit better of a CJ, but... I think I think the the All Star CJ might be, uh, you know, he'll he'll show up, but it's not going to be consistent. 
I think that's a major problem for Portland. And if you look at, I know it's not usage, but if you just look at field goal attempts, 20 pre-injury, still 18.8. So really just one field goal less per game. That shouldn't signify a nearly six point per game drop. That, that's, that's significant. If you look at CJ's career numbers, he really looked like he peaked the year after he won most improved player, that 16, 17 year, 23 points per game, uh, 42% from three. Who's on that team? Um, the third, who's the third guy? Nurkic. Who was the fourth? Was it Amino or Hark? Probably. Yeah. So but I'm saying he's, he's had that, that team for, you know, four years and we, we've only had Norman Powell for what? Six. Seven games? I don't I don't know the exact number. It's times Well, I mean like that that fifteen sixteen year, we didn't have Carmel Anthony take taking his shots or Gary Trent establishing his foot but, on the But pre injury we still had Mello say see the thing with Mello is Mello stayed in the same role. Mello's always gotten his shot. So what I've noticed from CJ hasn't been a usage. It's how he's using his own abilities. I've seen less decisiveness, more dribbling, more long twos instead of the volume threes. He's reverting back to his previous season self rather than the player that he was. Now, I don't know if he hasn't been able to get back into that shape or that rhythm that he was coming into the season. He has played four more games post-injury than than prior. So, I'm looking for the silver linings here and, and hoping that he becomes that player pre-injury because Sage pre-injury CJ probably told Neil to pump the brakes on trading for James Harden. And in hindsight, that was a massive mistake. Um, so we, we need pre-injury CJ to be that player. We need him to come back because he makes what 30, 25% of our salary cap. He's he's our second best player. Like if we want to win with Dame, it has to be Dame and All Star CJ. This, this this CJ, as good as he is, and how much I enjoy watching him, not good enough. Like you look at the teams in the modern era, aside from that 04 Pistons team, you got two pretty dang good players. Two superstars, two all stars at at the very least. I don't think Portland has that right now. And another point I wanted to bring up to you, Sage, was: Do you think also the Blazers need to spread the wealth on offense a little bit more? Now, this would reduce CJ's numbers a bit, but watching some of the games, and it was particularly that that Boston game, seeing Damon CJ shoot so ineffectively on a volume amount of attempts. Do you think we rely on too much volume shooting with Damon CJ? Yeah. But I don't think that will change. I think that it's going to be Dame CJ and Norm to a lesser extent being the most in terms of usage. And this is more, I I would say of of a long-term question because I I agree. I don't think it's going to change, but I don't think it can work either. Looking at teams that are either above us in the West or pretty good teams in the East. So we, you've got Utah, Phoenix, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Lakers, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Boston. You take each player's, each team's 
top two uh, shooters, you know, and, and field goal attempts per game. Currently, Damon CJ averaged 39.4 shots per game. That is the most of that, that group. Only the Celtics come close with 39.2. Of that list of, of top one and top two per team, Damian Lillard is third in field goal attempts per game at 20.1, and McCollum is fourth at 19.3. Both of those players are sub-50% shooters from the field. Those are, you know, I, I we, we talk so much about the, de- the defense, Sage. The offense, while is historically good. This is, I think, why it can falter in the postseason is because we rely so much on Damon CJ taking and making tough shots. It's not super sustainable. And you just wish that we would share the rock a little bit more. And I think maybe that's what Miracle was alluding to after one of our, our I think it may be the Miami loss where, you know, he was, basically saying we're not all on the same page. And you you saw them make that adjustment against the Celtics. The, the movement was fantastic. You get the, the season high 31 assists, but it, it kind of ebbed and flowed with how we played overall in that game. CJ was six for 19. Dame was nine of 23. Those are 42 of the team's 90 shots. They damn near took half of our attempts. Other players on this team are capable uh, of scoring. And this is one of the better low post players. Mello is good on the catch and shoot. Norman Powell can take it to the rack. You know, Nasir can catch and shoot from three. Robert Covington has been lights out from, from downtown. Without getting too over dramatic, there. The more I dissect this team, I watch them, I kind of look at, at what's kind of the, the bugaboo with this team. Unfortunately, it's not just one thing I can pinpoint to. It's not just the defense. It's not just one player pulling their weight. It's not one player um, who's, you know, throwing everyone off. It's not the offense that needs to be fixed. It's not just the coach. It's not just the players. It's not just the GM. This thing kind of, this thing kind of goes, it, it's rotting to the core. And I, I, I don't know if in 16 games you're going to be able to kind of change that around. It's like with who we have as a coach and the scheme that we do and the one-on-one matchups that – one-on-one creation matchups that we rely on so heavily – you think we can break all of those bad habits of not moving, not rotating at all in 16 games? The years of bad habits? I bite my nails to this day. And I haven't stopped. And I want to I wanna stop. But it's a habit. That, those, I worked as a drug and alcohol. I worked in a drug and alcohol uh, treatment for years. You know how hard it is to break habits? To assume that this team of 15 individuals can break those bad habits taught and preached to in the scheme that we play in 15, 16 games? It might happen a little bit, but until something big happens, we're going to be a dribble creation, three-point shooting team. And 
I'm sorry that people want it to be different, but with who's in charge and what the scheme is, I don't think that we're going to change for the good for it to be sustainable. We could do it for a game or two, but when, when things get rough, you're going to revert back to what got you there in everything. Like I, with my nail biting, with the trailblazers, when shit gets rough, you're reverting back. And when things get tough, Terry Stotts is going to give the ball to Dame and tell him to win this, this, this game. Expect us to have a offense that it enables players with offensive movement and cutting and motion. No, I think that when shit gets tough in the playoffs, when we're playing the Denver Nuggets, Clippers, whomever, we're going to do this shit. If it looks like cheese, if it smells like cheese, and it tastes like cheese, guess what, Sage? It's cheese. That, that's the, that's the, the Blazers are who they are. There's no. To expect athletes to stop doing things that have, they've done for years and years and years, you know how much training Dame and CJ have to have this dribble creation to get them easy baskets and to set other people up for easy baskets? You think they're they're going to stop playing this type of basketball to to enable like Norman Powell or Nasir Little? Like Norman's going to get his regardless, but like they're not going to change how they play basketball. They've got to the highest level. I mean, Damian Lillard is an MVP candidate. CJ McCollum was playing like an All Star this year. You think that they're going to change how they play? You're bugging. Just think about your life and the habits that you have and how hard it is to break it. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. And if they do break it, they're going to suck. This is going to be a long process. So I don't expect off-ball movement. I expect them to play the way that they've played for decades. On another note, this week saw a little bit of sad news. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge was made the decision to to retire. You know, he had uh, an irregular heartbeat and it kind of got scary to the point where he wanted to, you know, hang hang up the sneakers. So it's pretty crazy looking back and thinking that the Rise With Us era Blazers, like I think they're all now officially out of the league. Like so many life moments have happened for me since, I mean, 06 is when we drafted Brandon and LaMarcus. And even though, LaMarcus left in 2015, six years ago, and probably wasn't ever going to come back. But when somebody who was on a team previously, you know, calls, calls it quits and is, is hanging it up and going off into the sunset, you kind of get like nostalgic. And, and I reminisce like, Oh, six was like a pretty big year for me. We got, uh, we adopted Bassie and Telly, uh, Telly still, still kicking and going strong. Uh, I married my wife that that fall. Um, I finished up my associate's degree. Like I, that was my senior year at at community college. Before you know, it was my last year before moving to Portland. Uh, so it's just it's crazy to see that like fifteen years have passed, and it's like, whoa, wait, that that felt just like you know a handful of years ago. We couldn't have been fifteen. Like fifteen, that's a decade and a half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, shout out to Lamarcus for choosing, you know, family. Um, I didn't oh. want him as much as much as I, 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 I'm not a Lamarcus fan. 
I didn't want him to go out like that. I wanted him to be able to go out on his own terms and in the way he is, but you never want to see anybody have to, to medically retire, but you know, you know, thanks to Lamarcus for um, a great career. Hopefully, you know, he's able to find happiness and I'm sure he will. He's got a couple of kids and he's 35, 36 years old, multimillionaire. Things could be a little bit rougher for him. So uh, shout out to Lamarcus and I hope uh, retirement treats him well. Your health is way more important than playing this game. Shit, Shit's serious. And I've had friends and family with that have died because of irregular heartbeats. So he needed to make that decision for himself and he did. So props to him for thinking, you know, long-term about it because I'm sure he wanted to play in the playoffs for one last time and he, he doesn't get that chance. So that, that, that sucks, but his long-term health as a human is more important than th- this game. All right, Sage, we have a plethora of fan questions that I want to get to. But first, a couple of rapid fire, dribble, pass, shoot. Up first. Next season, the Blazers will have to choose between CJ McCollum and Norman Powell. Yeah, uh, shoot it. As good as Norman Powell is, he's 6'3. He's 6'3. Yeah, you. Putting him out of the small board is unfair to him. It's not a position that he can succeed in long term. So I, I would imagine that <clears throat> it's either going to be both are gone or one's there. Dribble, pass, shoot. Derek Jones Jr. will opt out of his player option and become a free agent at the end of the season. Can he make more money from what he's produced? I mean, that middle contract's legitimate money. So if he can get that, Sure. Not only is it legitimate money, Sage, but so many of the big fish are gone that a lot of players better than DJ are now going to be elevated with with money. I, I don't know if there's going to be a mid-level offer for for Derek Jones Jr. Like nine million is really nothing. I think it's almost closer to 10. Like nine to ten million dollars is nothing really to kind of scoff at. And like he came yeah. into the league. And it's a role. It's a it's a defined role of 20 plus yeah and you never know there could be a new system in there you know you're playing with Damian Lillard um yeah and if he plays a full year Nurkic and CJ and whomever's on the team like he could have a really nice year and get paid in 2021 when there's you know when, when there's a another it month. is 2021 2022 whatever <laughs> But yeah, like, I, so he could he can be on a different. He doesn't have to leave. If no. he does, I respect his decision, and you got to do what you got to do for you. But it does nine point seven is a good amount of money. I couldn't you, imagine leaving it. When you factor in a down year this year, and really not getting a lot of postseason run from Spolstra. Again, I don't know if the market for Derek Jones Jr. warrants another mid-level exception. I think Portland was hoping to find someone of a, a diamond in the rough, maybe somebody a little bit undervalued and paid what we could, maybe overpaid with what we had available to get somebody 
kind of like rolling the dice with what we did with Wesley Matthews from the Jazz, giving him that that mm. large contract that Utah decided not to match. And Wesley continued to progress. I'm not saying DJ won't progress, but that's kind of what Portland envisioned. I don't know if another team out there is going to envision it with kind of like a second kind of stagnant season. I don't know if he's necessarily improved significantly enough to to warrant that that extra mid-level. And my last dribble, pass, shoot. Would you rather say Josh Hart or uh, DJJ? Uh, how are we – do we have somebody that can actually look for backdoor lobs? Because he's – I mean – DJJ, but we're, with, we're offering D, we're Josh, offering Josh Hart the same contract DJJ has. Who would you rather have? I would probably have Josh Hart. So there's going to be players like Josh Hart that are going to be free agents too. So the, you got to think about the, the, those wings that might be a little bit more skilled than Derek. It could be a good move for him to just take that offer, hope for a better year, and then. Um, in 2023, he can get that that next contract because there are a lot of I mean, there are a lot of guards and wings that are going to get paid that may or may not be better than uh, Derek. So, um, whatever he decides to do, I respect it. But what what is your third? Dribble pass shoot. The Blazers would be better, assuming they make the playoffs. They would be better actually being in the play in than guaranteed a top six seed due to the matchup of playing Utah or Phoenix? I would prefer Denver number one, but then I would move to Utah and uh, uh, Utah and Phoenix two and three. Let's but say the prefer- only options in this scenario are you're in the play-in and you would either play Phoenix or Utah or you stay at six and you're playing the Clippers and nobody else. Oh, then I would choose the other. Then I would choose the play-in. It's about matchups, man. I, I, Absolutely. I about Denver, I feel I would rather de- do Denver than any others. But if you're giving me that, then the eighth seed. Because if right. we get eliminated in the eighth seed, do we get automatically get the lotto pick? If we were seven, we would play the eight. If you lose that, then you play the winner of nine, ten. If you lose that, then you're in the lottery. Yes, you get your lottery pick if you do not make it into the top eight. Like I mean, after the options. Like, what's what would be more beneficial for you? We lose the Clippers in five, or we get Jaden Springer, or whoever, D. Mitch from Baylor, or we get the draft capital to do something. Yes. I mean, you ask me this. If you're asking a dribble pass shoot, do I want a first-round matchup with the Clippers or do I want a lottery pick? You ask me today, April 18th, with what I've seen so far from this year, I, I am hoping for the lottery pick. This Blazer fan, can I can go another year without first-round embarrassment. It happens too often with this franchise. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. But, I- but in your scenario, or in the, the question I posed, I think the play-in would – playing Utah or Phoenix, I think Portland's going to be at a disadvantage, but you have a actual, like, puncher's chance at mm-hmm. advancing. We play the Clippers. I, I honestly think it's either a, a sweep or a gentleman sweep. Yeah. It's how bad the matchup is. Yeah. It, it, I think that you have a chance. And then you have options. You you definitely have options in the plan. It, and, you know, saying that – 
if we're in it and lose, we get the pick is a different thought process than I think a lot of people are prepared for, but things can get squirrely in the playoffs. So, and that's a lot of pressure. So yeah, I, I would prefer the eighth seed to losing to the Clippers or Lakers. All right, Sage, let's get to our fan questions. First question from Rip Village. How concerned should fans be on a scale of blow it up to bring in a fresh coach? Great question because it's not whether we should be panicking right now. It's thinking long-term and does the entire core need to be just completely revamped or would just a new set of eyes be enough to salvage what is currently already salvage the foundation, so to speak. So I'm going to let you uh, take first crack at this one, Sage. I think, I think new eyes could potentially uh, yield a lot of results. I wouldn't want to, I would be okay with trading CJ McCollum if it helped us succeed. I don't want to trade CJ McCollum for a draft pick because look at the optics when you think of Damian Lillard. He's a human just like us, so he's not going to think. He's so locked into what the Trailblazers are. You're trading your best teammate for a 20-year-old rookie that's going to suck for a few years. That's not going to help him achieve the ultimate goal of making the playoffs and making some noise. So I would be okay with trading CJ if it was for someone who was going to help the team that Damian Lillard was excited for. But uh, I think that a new pair of eyes might be the – I think a new pair of eyes is going to happen regardless. I don't think we should blow it up for no reason. Looking at this from a short-term perspective first, you have to see the Blazers – we're in a funk right now. There's no if ands, or buts about that. We've lost six of our last nine games. We are only 500 with – Nurkic returning and the acquisition of Norman Powell. The schedule hasn't been that brutal up until this point, but it is going to pick up. We have a four-game homestand where we play the Clippers, the Nuggets, two possible first-round opponents, and then back-to-back against the Memphis Grizzlies who are nipping at our heels. Then we have to go out on the road for, I think, a season-defining six-game home uh, road trip. I want to see if this team has any fight left in them. Uh, I think the effort has been questionable and inconsistent all season long. I think there's been selfishness on a a lot of levels, both offensively and defensively. And this really has nothing to do with with Terry Stocks. Like like you said, I think at the bare minimum, we're getting a fresh pair of eyes next season. But if we want to look at the foundation, who's going to give me what? You know, who's going to give the fans something to to hold on to? So I want to see how the players react to adversity. I want to see how they could maybe fit in. And then you have to look at contracts. Derek Jones Jr. I mean, the, we, we've talked about this, I think, ad nauseum, Sage. Uh, this is a huge year for the Blazers. And it, it seems like the fans are the only ones that are picking up on, on the, the, the signal. Ennis Cantor is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, unrestricted free agent. DJJ, as we've talked about, can opt out. Norman Powell is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Zach Collins uh, is a restricted free agent. In two years, or in another season, Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic are both unrestricted free agents. So really, you're looking at 
players locked into contracts or cost-controlled contracts, Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, CJ McCollum, and Damian Lillard. That's scary. And, and, I, and I know we were all kind of traumatized by the summer of 2016 and not having any cap flexibility. But having cap flexibility and no pieces around Dame is just as bad. Portland, and I think my answer will depend on what happens with DJJ and Norman Powell. And by no means do I think that they are foundational pieces to build around or the end-all be-all. But if DJ opts out and Norman decides to sign elsewhere and we don't have a good mid-level replacement, we're even further behind the eight ball than we are now. Even if a new coach comes in and and, and helps us, I think the drop in talent kind of makes you have to have some self-awareness. So my answer to this question is at the bare minimum, we, we need a new fresh pair of eyes, but really what the players do with their own decisions are, are unrestricted free agents. The ones who can kind of control their own destiny that's going to determine how far I'm willing to take this roster reconstruction. I, I am with you 100%. I wouldn't trade CJ just to trade CJ, but I think that has to be a, a big priority. And, and that's a pain for me to say because, one, I'm a CJ McCollum fan. Two, he is a, a Blazer legend in my mind for that 2019 postseason. Game seven alone, that's the stuff that you, you talk about for years. He He comes up big when the light shines the brightest. And three, I've always wanted to prove a lot of people wrong that say Dame and CJ weren't good enough to get it done. I don't think they're not good enough. I, I think we're finally starting to, at least I am, I'm probably late to the party. I think the fit is not good enough. They're, they're too similar in the fact, they're too similar in almost every single way. Damian Lillard to me is just a better version of CJ McCollum. Uh, both subpar defensively, both both need the ball in their hands. And when you play them together, it is a, a small backcourt. I think you could really balance this roster out if you're able to move McCollum for a three or a four who, uh, a Jeremy Grant really type, um, who's really elevated his game. And then you're able to, because Rocco, the great thing about Covington, he's interchangeable. You can play him alongside either forward position. And why I say Norman Powell is such a big uh, a big um, decision maker is because he and Dame can play alongside each other because he's got a longer wingspan. He can, he draws fouls. He doesn't need the ball in his hands. It's just it's a better roster fit. And then you he can move and shoot, and he can get to the line. And then you can start to make your decisions. Okay, okay, we, we've got we've got this. We've got a mid level signing, or we're bringing Derek back, or you can start to really look at, okay, do we want to keep Mello and Cantor? One of them probably has to go. They both can go because they both can leave as free agents. Uh, Nurk, one year left, hasn't been able to stay healthy. What do you do there? You can start to kind of like, it's not just one question with this roster. It's a good roster, but it's imbalanced. So it's not just, okay, we got to take care of this. It's almost like a, a tiered system. Like you got to start at the top and work your way to the bottom. So in a nutshell, a fresh set of eyes at the bare minimum, but I think our our free agents are going to kind of determine the way uh, the franchise goes. But I, I really wanted you to thank Rick. A through Z, really. Yeah. 
Um, another player I would love to have in Blazer uniform is Larry Nance Jr. I think he would do a really nice the scheme and how smart he is. So you, I mean, like there's players that are obviously desirable that you know you and I have named like Demonis or Jeremy or Larry or Pascal Siakam. I mean, yeah, Sabonis is. I think you you get Dame another facilitator, a, a, a decision maker, a shot creator who's young and can play that that vital forward role. Indiana's a team that's underachieving. I mean, you kind of got to find those teams that are willing to to make a deal with you and they're in similar situations. So it's not as easy as firing up 2K and say, oh, there's Ben Simmons. Let's go. No, I mean, you have to kind of be realistic in what you're you're, you're asking. And um, so it's just, it, that, I think that's why it's been such a tough year. Uh, for a lot of fans is you kind of can sense the biological clock ticking on, on this era. And we've had a lot of good, had a lot of good memories with this era, but again, you have to have self-awareness. If if the goal is to just be a playoff team, it it does the job, but I don't think having one of the franchise's greatest all, all time players on your roster, the goal should just be to make the playoffs. Uh, next question from uh, Dana Ramoni. He says, on a macro level, I believe good defense comes down to three things. Player effort and buy-in, coach's scheme, and the player's ability and their skill to fit into that scheme. So is the poor Blazer defense due to a bad scheme by Terry, ability of the players to execute that scheme, or player effort? I personally don't think it's effort, so which of the other two is it, or is it something else that I'm missing? I mean, there's moments where the effort sucks. There's moments where the communication sucks. I think communication also is in the top uh, things for a defensive unit. We don't do it that well. <clears throat> I think other it, players not playing together much also makes the defense hard. So I think that with how Dana laid it out, I think every bit of every bit is a factor of why the defense is as bad as it is. It's not one thing. You can't use it as just one thing. This is why it's bad. It's a level. It's levels. Like like with free agency or this offseason, it's levels. You got to – there's levels to this shit. So I think that every bit is a factor of why our defense is what it is. So the scheme, the communicate, lack of communication, the players, all of this, the lack of time playing, the lack of offseason, all of this is a factor of why the defense is uh, so subpar. I agree, and I would take it a step f- farther and say each factor is equally important. And to have a good cohesive defense, you can't have some and still be good. Like you have to have everything. Great defenses have communication, they have effort, they have good uh, s- schematical changes, tr- strategies, and they have player effort and buy in. No good defense has three out of the four or, or two out of the four. You have to have four to make it work. It's almost like you know, when you're putting together um, a puzzle, you need every piece for it to be complete. And I, I, I do think effort is a huge part of it. Um, we, we've kind of talked about scheme uh, to death. I, I think players fitting a certain scheme is 100% correctly. We saw last year with us on white side. We saw this year with the Carmelo Anthony and his Cantor pairing that teams are just attacking that. But 
I mean, I hundred percent believe that effort plays just as large of a role in that. Otherwise, how can somebody explain the Hornets scoring 44 points in the first quarter, but then being held to under 70, the final three, it, it, it happens time and time again with, with this Blazer team that they flip up the, the effort intensity and they play that quote unquote clutch defense to win them those games. Well, if you would have played with that urgency and fire and, and energy and effort for 48 minutes, you wouldn't have to re- rely on that, that flip getting switched. So yeah, it, it's, it's everything and you have to have it all and it has to be cohesive and that's why defense is so important and so hard to find and defense, you know, good defensive teams don't just, they're not out there for you to go pick up off a, you know, like a, a peach tree and you know, go, Oh, they're, I'll just, I'll just take one of those. That looks good. No, it, it takes so many levels. What is our identity on defense? We don't, I have no idea what our identity on defense is. So <laughs> our, so that you, is a fantastic yeah. question. I, I have no idea what our identity on defense was. And if I were to guess, Sage, it would be forcing mid-range jumpers because Terry Soft loves that drop scheme coverage. And the reason our defense, I think, has gone from average to bad to historically bad is teams are now getting better at exploiting drop coverage because players in today's NBA are just better shooters than they've ever been. So doesn't matter if it's a 20 footer or a 25 or a 15, you give a team an open jump shot more times than not, they're going to take it and make it. A, a team of my teenage years, the New Orleans Hornets with Chris Paul, Tyson Chandler, David West, they were always an average defense. But the one year of greatness, they were the best rebounding team of the year in the league. So they became that rebounding team that put in the effort that way. We don't even have. Oh, our identity. The Hornets were we're gonna out rebound you. We're gonna outboard you. We have Tyson and David West. I don't know what our identity is and what we can control to be the. This is what we are. We are gonna rebound the ball, or we're gonna jump passing lanes and be really aggressive. I have no idea what the hell we are because we haven't shown consistency at anything except being inconsistent. You know what I mean? Next question from Ryan at time fleeting 34 says under Stotts and the majority within the Damian Lillard era, the team has had real issues stringing together three consecutive good outings in terms of performance results aside being consistent at inconsistency is a defining trait under Stotts. How or why is this acceptable? I don't, it isn't. And I think that this is the first time where a majority of the public and the broadcasts and people on Twitter are realizing that it's unacceptable. And because Damien's getting older, mediocrity is just as bad as being bad. Like we need to make that decision to really try and win it for Dame or in a few years, we should just trade them and give them a chance that, with somebody else because we failed we we failed at trying to get there so often we've had one good year but we, we kind of failed at sustained success so i think it's unacceptable and i hope that uh there's a huge shakeup with the brain trust of the portland trailblazers i think why we're really seeing the pressure 
start to start to mount this season is there's no built-in excuse. Um, and there ain't going, so you're paying more attention to your hobbies. Going back to 2015, you know, LaMarcus leaves six out of the top seven scorers to part. You're just happy just watching basketball at that point. Well, the Blazers overachieved the following season. They made it to the second round and gave the Warriors a fight in five. The following season, you know, you kind of rest on your laurels. You don't grind as much. The team has to go out. Well, they make a trade, and Nurk Fever takes takes the, the city by storm. Nurk gets hurt, and that that's your built-in excuse for 17. 20, 2018, you, you win, I think, 13 games in a row. You, you know, you ascend to the third seed. You get swept, and that's kind of like you're, you're one. Okay, that's your mulligan. You know, Dame has to go to go to bat for for the coach to to save his his job. Well, it it paid off. The, the next year, you have a Western Conference Finals run with with two incredible series victories. The first Conference Finals, you know this this city has seen in in 19 years. You no, know, again, those don't grow on trees either. Like we we value those. It, it didn't amount to a title or even a finals appearance, but. You know, for a team that's known for just getting bumped in the first round to win not one, but two series. I mean, that 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 builds up goodwill with the fan base and you factor in last season. You've got the coronavirus then you've got historically bad, bad injuries. But then you start to see the underlines of, okay, well, we were supposed to have a pretty good roster last season. I know we were waiting for Nurk, but. And why is the defense getting bad? Okay, well, let's go out and let's change it this offseason. And the worst thing that could have happened for Terry Stotts was media pundits without bias granting Portland the offseason championship in terms of having the best offseason. You go out, you spend two draft picks and get uh, Rocco. You sign DJJ with the mid-level exception. You bring in Cantor for uh, an annual exception. Uh you're you have a deep team. You go out and you get Norman Powell at the deadline. This is a, a damn good team. The excuses are, are they're gone. We are even worse. Def- I think the, the tipping point was being worse defensively with the additions that we had, even with Nurk and CJ being out. I think that is kind of something you can't come back from. So I I, I think to, to answer your question, it's it's not going to be allowed to continue because you can't be worse defensively. When you add in three defensive-minded players, to be honest, um, where we're at is kind of unacceptable. I know that we're above five hundred, and that's cool. But Dame's Dame's getting older, so we need to put on. We need to get him that competitive team. Right now, our defense makes it so we're not competitive. Really good question from uh, Goldner PDX wants to know. How much time are you giving the Blazers before you start saying, yep, this is what they are. This is who they will be when the playoffs start. Are you already there or are you giving it just a little bit more time? I feel like I know what the team is. We we we, we know that they're a bad defensive team and what we need to do is get the right matchups and have four ceiling games to beat whoever we're playing against. I kind of know what, what this team is and I've, I've been able to accept what we are and it doesn't negatively affect me. You know, it's crazy. 
right? This year, because of COVID, my basketball knowledge is how I survive. So you can't really get you can't get bummed out by a bad game because you got to move on to the next one. So that's kind of how I feel. It's like I'm just I'm just here for the ride. I'm not trying to get uh, frustrated or it is what it is. I, I know what this team is. I, I've known I've been known what this team is. I think I was the first person to talk about how Terry Stotts isn't the best coach in the world. So I've been knowing this team. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I think the Celtics game was kind of the straw that, that broke my back in, in the sense that I saw how well we moved in basketball. The 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 assists, it was it was beautiful. And yet we still made bad decisions late. The rotations were terrible. We were kind of selfish on offense and we couldn't beat the Celtics at home, even playing what I thought was one of our better offensive games. It was just kind of like, oh, this is what it is. To further compound that, if Damian Lillard were playing like he was early in the season, you you feel good. And that's your hope, is that Dame can get back to that level because everyone, you know, aside from Zach Collins, knock on wood, is healthy. So there, there is that, you know, little bit of hope that, that Dame can put on that cape and do it again. But the reason why I, I'm not fully buying into that hope just yet is because he's dealing with a plethora of injuries that I don't think we really know about. Uh, his production has really fallen uh, from earlier in the season. In the month of April, just for a sample size, seven games, 34 minutes, shooting 38.5% from the field, 37% from three. Uh, his assists are down by nearly uh, an assist and a half, six and, a, six and a half assists per game, 21.3 points, um, 70, the key, 77% from the free throw line. Dame is a 90, 95% free throw shooter prior to that this month. To see him at 77, I mean, that that's like, that's alarming to me. Um, so if Dame, if the, if this rest helps him come back and, and play like the MVP candidate that he can be, sure, we can maybe surprise the team and, and take a playoff series or, or make it competitive. If the Dame we see recently, along with how we're playing right now, it, it's a wrap. I mean, I, I said it like I would rather have a lottery pick than another first round um, embarrassment. I think adding variance to the Blazers is how we win games. Kind of like how Houston was last year. They added variance, and when the games, when they're hot, they're going to win games. So if we get hot four games, we're going to win that game. We're going to win the series. But if we get hot less than four games, we're going to lose. I, I don't. I hate putting it in statistic like no. that. That that's kind of what we are. We we add variance. We're kind of like the Rockets. Last question from Blazers Down Under at Blazers Down on Twitter. Wants to know, is it just me or do the Blazers have the unfortunate skill of playing opponents into career nights, field goal percentages, points, etc.? cetera? Uh, I appreciate the, the question. I, I think it's everything to do with the Blazers do not put any pressure on the opposing offense. We, we let you waltz right into what, whatever strategy or scheme that you want to do. We will not adjust during the games. We rarely will double. And if we do, it's going to be the same double from the same position, from the same player. We Sage, we're like a book. I mean, we're we're so predictable. You can 
whatever page you want to turn to, you can find what you want to do against this this Blazer defense. I mean, we we make it easy for them. This is kind of how we are. It, it, it's been a roller coaster. So when we're hot, we're gonna beat we're gonna beat some teams. But if Dame's shooting suboptimally and CJ's shooting up suboptimally, we're gonna lose this game. All right, Sage. Let's go into uh, this week's slate of games. We both went one and two. Uh, last week, both got the the Charlotte game wrong. We have four games on the on, on the deck. Two big, yeah, actually they're all big. They're all big and they're all at home. You've got the Clippers on Tuesday, the Jazz on Wednesday, the Grizzlies on Friday, and then the Grizzlies again on Sunday. You have these four games and then a six game road trip. I think these ten games will define our season. Completely. I don't think there will be any, any, even slivers of, oh, maybe this, maybe, no. I, I think this will put us within, I think, like six games to finish the season. We'll know exactly where we are. Not maybe, not necessarily in terms of seeding or, or not seeding, but I think this team is going, like, we'll, we'll fully know what we have. And, up first is the Clippers Sage, uh, a team that, due to the coronavirus last year, hasn't played in Portland since the 2018-2019 season. Um, we played the, the first two games in Los Angeles uh, this year, so this is the third and final game. Uh, the Clippers handed us our lunch, both matters. Uh, fourth game of the season, beating us 128-105 to in Los Angeles, and then again in Los Angeles pretty recently uh 133 to 116 that's the game i think they had us down by 26 or 28 points in the second quarter it's, it's hard to keep track uh, of these uh major deficits as they occur so frequently i assume damian lillard's going to play it's a tnt game so you have to assume that the clippers will not be able to, to rest anybody sage this is a potential first round matchup is there and they now have rondo Is there anything the Blazers can do to get the, this victory? It just it it seems like the Clippers have our number. I mean, they're kind of built to frustrate the Blazers. They have wings that are very lengthy and uh, athletic. I, I think the way we'd win is Damian get Damian and CJ get on a heater, and then Nurk establishes dominance in the post. For us, we got to concentrate on stopping those elite wings in Paul George, who is been really good against us this year and Kawhi Leonard who also is just fantastic and needs to play better for my top shot moments to increase so I mean that that's the game right there is how do we stop the wings of the Clippers Rondo doesn't scare me Marcus Morris senior doesn't really scare me it's those wings how do we stop those wings if we have a plan to stop the wings then I feel a lot better but right now this team just is built to frustrate us. So I, I would go with the Blazers' loss against the Clippers. And you got to think, hasn't it been two weeks since our, our COVID shot? What if we're COVID hungover right now for that for that Clippers game? Uh, I think they had to wait four weeks to get their shot. So, But I think you're right. I think it's been – I think they're within that window now where they can get it. And with the homestands coming up, it, it does make sense that they would get their second shot. Mm -hmm. I mean – do you see a way that the Blazers can win other than hot shooting and defending the wings? 
it seems like whenever we play the Clippers, it's some role player just goes bananas against us. Last game, it was Reggie Jackson, 23 points, 8 of 12 from the field, 4 of 6 from downtown. They just were able to always have an answer. So along with, you know, you talked about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. It's it's the worst possible matchup to trot out a three-guard lineup because you're having either George or Leonard shoot over Dame, CJ, and Norm. Rocco can only guard one of those two players. Um, the way I, I do, the, the way you can beat them, though, is I think you can beat them up on on the interior, and I think it starts with Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Um, what really frustrated me against the Charlotte Hornets was Vernon Carey had like four fouls in four minutes. Dude, out for a minute is pretty, pretty awesome. We had both Ennis and Yusuf in the games at, at both of those at, at one point or the other. Instead of force feeding them the ball and letting them go to work in the paint, because Carey, when he picked up his third, he was like, "No way, I don't, I do not want." I mean, he was just Ennis took him to the post, and it worked. And I was like, "Okay, we're going to keep feeding Ennis the basketball." No, we we jacked up some contested three off of one dribble or or whatever and just completely just Bro, disregarded advantage of our matchups yes yeah. we disregarded that 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 advantage pj the, a small power forward playing center and his canter is one of the best <laughs> throwback centers in the game yes you're going to get maybe be, yeah take advantage if you want to keep him in the game he has to produce offensively, and he can. Yusuf Nurkic, if we want him right for the playoffs, he's going to need to start doing work in the post, and he can. He can also facilitate. So I think the key for Portland is going to be the assists. We had 18 against the Clippers previously. This team has shown they can move the ball. I think it starts with Yusuf Nurkic and getting Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum looks off of, off of the ball. Like You don't want to have George and Leonard swarm the pick and roll. You don't want to let them blitz with, with a Rondo as well. And then also work inside. They, they don't really have a lot of shot blockers. They don't have a lot of size. Marcus Morris, uh, Zubach, uh, Demarcus Cousins. Like We should be able to get our looks inside. And if the Clippers want to double, great. If they don't, you have to trust that we're going to be able to make shots close in on the rim. Uh, take, you know, just play patient basketball. But uh, as you said, Sage, I, I fully expect this to be a loss. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the last game, if I remember right, did everything they could to frustrate Damian Lillard. So, included Dame was two for fourteen. Yeah, they they eleven points. Everything at him. They threw everything at him. So Norm has to have a ceiling game, and CJ has which to he which he, which he did last time. So Norman Powell is my X factor. He had thirty-two points. He got to the line fifteen times. I love Portland cannot, yeah. Portland cannot settle for just these one dribble quick threes. Put the ball on the floor and go to the basket. We, if you want to play these three guards, okay, one of the three is not going to be guarded by George or Leonard. Take advantage of that and then go to the cup because there's not a rim protector there either. Get to the free throw line, slow the game down, value the fucking possession. If, if we don't treat if we don't treat this like a playoff game, we're going to get blown out again. The Clippers play at like the 29th ranked pace, so take care of the ball. One thing that I've noticed from Norm that he does is when he drives to the paint, even if he misses, Ennis or Yusuf is normally in position to get that rebound and get an easy putback. 
Like, when's the last time we had a guy that focuses and gets those Kobe assists by just driving, forcing the defense to react, and then the, our offensive player gets the rebound? I remember talking about this on the podcast. Was it Damian Lillard driving? Because I can't. Ed, Ed, Ed Davis was the the recipient of those assists. Yeah, but who was the who was the the motor that made it happen? Was it Damian? Must have been. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think the Kobe assists and then the drives by Norm is going to be huge. But I think the the Los Angeles Clippers win. Up next is the Denver Nuggets, a team that was dealt a devastating blow earlier this week when Jamal Murray uh, tore his ACL in, in a game late in the closing minutes of a game in the Bay area against the golden state warriors. He is obviously out for this year and who knows when he will make his return. The Blazers are 0 and one this year against the Denver nuggets. And that's a game that's somewhat reminiscent of what we could see, but not at the same time, Denver added in uh, Aaron Gordon and they also played this game uh, without Jamal Murray. So that, that's kind of where, where, where you can kind of see where I'm coming from a little bit of similarity, but not. No, Jamal did not play. I thought he did and was really, really hot in the fourth quarter. I'm sorry, Sage. It's late. Yes, he played. Oh, it was I awesome. remember stuff. You're, you're right. You're right. So throw out everything that I just no, said. No, no, I'm not going to throw it out. Everyone. Yeah, I, I, I am an absolute moron. Uh, but <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, we have Yusuf Nurkic this game, which we didn't last game. Okay, uh, Jokic uh, took Cantor. He was aggressively shitting on him. I mean, 41 points on 53% shooting, uh, three of six from downtown was was the difference in a 111. I believe 106 victory versus injured currently. So he was out for this game. He hurt himself. I think he got a hamstring. He is not on the basketball reference injury report. I think it's Composo that's going to be the lead guard. I almost, I'm. I did the research tonight. I think the clip. I, I think the Nuggets ha- got dealt with another injury, but it, it like Monte Morris and Compazzo and Will Barton being the playmakers are is so less scary than Jamal Murray and his uh, ability to score. Let me look. Yeah, he uh, hurt his hamstring five hours ago. So. Yeah, it could be Compazzo uh, running point guard. I think that that is where the Blazers have to assert dominance is from our guards because Jamal is a, a pretty good defender. I know one-on-one matchups don't dictate as much, but if we can attack Compazzo off the dribble and get Joker into foul trouble or get Aaron Gordon into foul trouble by our drives, I feel pretty good about this. I mean – it sucks that Jamal Murray got hurt, but we kind of have to take advantage of this hurt team with uh, their two lead guards being hurt. I, I feel pretty good about this. Yusuf is good. If Yusuf plays, which is an if, I feel pretty good about this. Um, I, I know Yusuf gets up for these games because going against a former teammate gets him going. So, I think Yusuf's going to have a big game, and I think Damon, our three guards, are going to have a big game attacking the uh, the Nuggets. So since Jamal Murray went down, the the Nuggets are two and zero with two impressive victories. They defeated the Heat at home by seventeen, 
and they went on the road and beat the Houston Rockets uh, by 29 points. So, <laughs> I would kill. I would be so ecstatic, Sage, if the Blazers would handle business just once. So the fact that they did it without their second best player and knowing he's not going to be there for the season, that that shows that they're they're still locked in. Uh, the the front court of Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, and Jokic, I think, is going to be way too much for us to handle. My X factor is going to be Yusuf Nurkic. Can he stay out of foul trouble? If he gets into foul trouble, we are toast because we saw what Jokic already did against Cantor. Um, can we win? Yes. Should we win? Probably. But again, this is a team that I don't know where their their mindset is at on on the court. Like, are they going to be locked in? Are they, are they going? I mean, this is going to be the second night of a back to back. How how much energy are, are they going to have? Are they going to be coming off of a, of a victory? Are they going to be coming off of a loss? Does it matter? Because we never know what type of output we're going to get from this team on a game-by-game basis. But you're right. For us to win, our guards have to go bananas. Uh, I, I think you put Jokic in the pick and roll all day long. They have, they have no they have no perimeter defenders. They, they traded away uh, Torrey Craig. Uh, Jeremy Grant walked in free agency. They traded away um, Gary Harris. Jamal Murray's hurt. They don't have a perimeter defender that can stick with our guards. So, I mean, I, I would be very – if Aaron Gordon can lock up Damian Lillard, let's just fast forward to the end of the season. Like, it's – like, what, it would be a wrap. So, I, I would expect our guards – again, if we play patient, team-oriented basketball, you're going to be able to score on this Nuggets defense. On the other end of the floor, you're going to have to really have your head on a swivel. Jokic will find cutters. He will find cutters that you don't even think are there. The team moves well without the basketball. Like He is the by far and away favorite to win the MVP. And you know, I kind of keep track with his stat lines every night. It's very rare that he puts up a dud. So again, I think it's going to be competitive. I want to see if we're up for this game. I mean, it's crazy that that's kind of like the bar for me right now, but you know, do we get locked in Nurk and how, how, how good is he? We see the, the impact that he can have when, when he is at his best and we'll need him to be. But again, I, I think, I just think the nuggets and the blazers rosters be damned are just in two different kind of a fo- focal points. How, how they're approaching the game right now. I, I don't like where we're at. I, I've got Denver winning. And then if Memphis continues to win, th- this could be for the play-in. Uh, the Grizzlies come to town for two games that are are kind of, uh, they got postponed because Memphis had uh, health and safety protocol issues right after, I believe, CJ and Nurk went down. I was right after, I think, it was right after the Spurs game in January. So that was MLK day. So it was right in that week. Yeah. So we get the Grizzlies for the first time this year. They're, they're still without Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, again, I have a team I've been keeping up with. They seem to. What's that? And that they seem to be having success with a small lineup with Kyle Anderson at the four. They'll play Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen. And of course they have uh, John Morant. So it's, 
unconventional, but damn, you take away a, a miracle game winner from Luka Doncic, and, and this team could be uh, seventh, possibly sixth right now in the West. So they are a team that is kind of like a souped-up Oklahoma City. They may be undermanned, but they are they're, they're going to make you earn every game every possession like they're not just going to roll over with you because they may be outclassed from a talent perspective i mean they have just so many good players on their team like there's like two or three nba players on in every spot like uh melton is going to get traded eventually because he plays the same position as jaw they have a lot of good players <clears throat> but looking at john Morant, i know that people assume he's been playing really well, but if you look at his box score and you look at how he's been playing, he hasn't been at the, the John Moran last year. And maybe the ankle injury has inhibited him in some way, but he, he hasn't, he hasn't scared me or hasn't impressed me when in the games that I've watched. And obviously I love the rookies of the Memphis Grizzlies. So I watch quite frequently. Uh, he, he isn't, hasn't a, hit the uh the mark on uh as well as he did last year <clears throat> but uh they got players for days they they definitely have a lot of players i know the nba concussion protocol is a lot more uh, serious than the nfl so if jonas is out for this game that's going to be huge or out for at least one of the games where you know xavier tillman is going to go from a dnp player to a uh, 30 minute starter that's going to be pretty pretty big I think injuries, and because Brandon Clark's also had dealt with injuries as well. I think injuries is going to be a big thing for this game, and it's hard to project on Sunday in a game in the future with COVID and uh, concussions and Jaron Jackson being doubtful instead of out. It's it's difficult to project. I would say that we split, and uh, I think we win the first and lose the second. Yep, I'll agree with that. I, I think we we definitely split um, with us having not played them this year. It's hard to project what to look for. I know Brandon Clark injured his hip in his day to day. He was a player that last year, especially in the bubble, uh, just just gave us absolute fits. I mean, thankfully we don't have to deal with Jaron Jackson Jr. He's another big that can give us problems. Um, you can't be a member of Memphis and play in the city of Memphis without having heart. I mean, they're called grind city for, you know, a, a reason. Like they absolutely go all out for full 48 minutes. So I think obviously one Portland has to match Memphis's energy. And I would also say that Memphis is in the middle of their own Jesus, it's a seven-game road trip. They've already beaten Chicago and Milwaukee. They still have Denver, Clippers, Blazers, Blazers, Nuggets. That's rough. So really rough. And then we get them the first game when they come back home. So this week is so important to me. What Grizzly scares you the most that's not named John Morant or um, uh, Jonas Valanciunas? They have plenty of dudes that scare the shit out. It's no, it's it's Portland. Portland the Blazers have to be their best selves. Like that's, I think that's where I'm starting to realize is, it, it doesn't matter if we're playing 
the Charlotte Hornets without three players or the Los Angeles Clippers who give us fits or, or the Memphis Grizzlies in, in this example. If the Blazers don't take care of themselves, if they don't come out mentally ready, if they don't play disciplined basketball, it doesn't matter who's on, who's on the opposition. They're, they're going to lose. The Blazers have to be their best selves to give them, give them a chance. Because we've seen just random players light up the Blazers. We've seen just good players have career nights against us. And we've seen superstars look like the monsters. So I mean, Giannis and Steph just going absolutely bananas because we weren't ready to deal with them. So if, if, I, was, if I was Portland, you know, Grayson Allen's been playing really well. Like, can, can we match that? You know, he's going to probably be giving you a couple of elbows and he's, he's got a dirty player. Uh, reputation. Kyle Anderson's been a really good facilitator for them. Dylan Brooks can shoot. Desmond Dylan Bain. Brooks is Dylan Brooks is very streaky for them. Like he kind of been, he, and he plays with a lot of passion. But if I'm Portland, it kind of starts with, with John Morant, and you have to force him to beat you from the perimeter, go under the screens, just like we did in, in the bubble, and that that's kind of like your first step. Yeah, I mean, again, this is a team that Portland should beat twice. We were lucky to beat the Pelicans twice. And you saw what happened against the Mavericks. Close game and then worst home loss in Portland history. So these back-to-back games have not really treated the Blazers kindly. Uh, I'll agree with you. I think they write the ship for a night, and then it kind of goes goes back goes back the opposite direction before they head out onto the road. So you're one and three, and I'm two and two? Yeah. Oh. You ready to wrap this bad boy up, or do you have anything else? I would just say, last thing, that I I know we probably all have a a difference of opinion when it comes to the Blazers. If you're conversing with other fans, just be respectful. Be nice. Um, It's it's I can I can sense the tension online. Uh, Again, I, I know a lot of us feel like time could be running out on this era but again we're we're all going through this there's a lot of things happening in this world um hopefully we don't have to deal with more with the upcoming trial that could be coming out after this podcast is, is released so for a lot of us the blazers are our outlet from reality and we just kind of zone out and whether we're cheering or getting frustrated it, it it's still a game and the players are still human. The fans behind the monikers are still human. So just treat each other with respect. And if you have a, a disagreement and opinion, that's fine, but there's ways to go. There's ways to go at it. Like there's no need for, for insults or, or to make it nasty. Just, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, it's, it's been an incredibly stressful 14, 15, 16 months, and it doesn't show many signs of, of you know, stopping. <laughs> some, you know, some things go, get better and other things get worse. So just, just, just try to be, just be respectful. I think it just comes down to treating others how you want to be treated. And I know that's kind of like a old school golden rule, but I think if more people online had that, just do it. And also don't, don't tweet at like, 
Casey or the, the Blazers social media and just like, I've been there. That's not a, a fun place to be where you're just reading shitty comments left and right. Like there's other outlets to do that. So again, there are people behind these accounts. Treat them nice, everyone. I, I know this is a tough season, but th- this is our, our safe space. Let's be respectful of one another. There is a 0% chance that all 15 players are going to be on this roster next year. Enjoy watching this core for one last time. There, there's no way that all 15 or don't, or, or don't enjoy watching it, but, you know, enjoy, enjoy Dan's watching great. parts of it. Enjoy, yeah, enjoy Dane's greatness. Just, or it's watch, basketball. Watch baseball. Fuck it. Like, oh, full pump, pump the brakes there, Sage. That's a blot. That's a, Blastness, what you're speaking right now. I watch the shit out of some baseball. I, I'm starting to get really good at it. But uh, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, uh, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. And so uh, follow us at the Holy Backboard. Follow me at The Sage and follow Dustin at DHaz22. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!